those of you who need a head start, we're going to, our text will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. But we're uh, resuming our series on functional faith where we talked about just developing faith for everyday life. And last week we talked about uh, what that meant is, you know, it's easy to have faith when you're in a church environment or, or, a, uh, or a conference or that controlled specific situation much like uh, functional fitness, you know, you can deadlift 400 pounds in the gym when you've got your weight belt in the rack and everything. It's in that very specific uh, situation, but uh, you lift that 400 pounds, but then when you go to pick up your, your child or pick up your suitcase, you put your back out because it's just real life. You don't have the belt. You're not prepared and all those things. And, and I realize that we don't want that for our faith. I want you to have faith that is strong for what you're going to encounter on Tuesday for the difficulties that come, for the mess that just seems to come in and out of our life. That's just part of the Christian life. And, and maybe you haven't experienced that so far, but I'm just telling you that if you're a follower of Jesus for very long, you're going to experience some stuff that makes you go, whoa, where was he? How come this? How come that? How come they? How come when? How come? And, and if you don't have functional faith, it makes people back up. And We've seen this in, in this last year, people that seem to, that have been following Christ for decades even that are backing up out of their faith because of situations, because of so-and-so committed suicide and such-and-such such happened here, and, and I've just got too many questions. And, and I'm here to tell you that we can have a faith that endures despite our questions, despite our problems, despite our tragedies, despite the things that never get answered, we can still have faith but it's something that has to be developed. It doesn't just happen on accident. And I uh, also shared with you last week that if you've been in a gym or, or in a place where uh, uh, people go to work out, um, sometimes it's not a gym, uh, you see funny stuff. And so I have a collection of clips that I'm going to be showing each week. And so uh, for those of you that are faint of heart this morning, it's, it's not all that brutal, but it's, to me it's funny, and you'll know that I have a sick sense of humor. So uh, if you can show that uh, movie real quick, that clip. I see stuff like this all the time. People trying to do too much. Uh, people that don't know what they're doing. <laughs> um, I remember in uh, when I was going to college and we had a weightlifting class. And, uh, of course, we're all young and dumb and think we're stronger than we are. And my weightlifting buddy, uh, we were doing uh, power clean. And so you basically start from the down position and you bring the weight all the way up and catch it at the chest level. He got it to about here and started to get really wiggly and stepped forward, which was not the right thing to do. When things get bad, you just let go of the weight. But he decided not to. He tries to recover it, and he comes and bang, brings about 250 pounds down on the top of his calf and made a nice little indent in his muscle. Uh, which, of course, we all went, oh, and then gave him a hard time for the rest of the semester for being that guy. 
Now, maybe you've encountered some difficulties, and maybe you're new to faith, and you feel like a new person at the gym, and you don't know what to do. I, I don't even know how to pray. I don't, I don't know where to read in the Bible. I, I don't know anything about church, but I, I just know I, I want more of God. I want to know what this is all about. Well, this is awesome. I'm glad you're here this morning because this should help you. And, and let me just tell you this, that nobody's good at the very beginning. We all have to start someplace. And so the best way to do that is you surround yourself with people that do know how to navigate their faith instead of just saying, oh, I can't do it myself. It's, it's like going to the gym and just thinking that you'll figure it out because you probably won't. You'll either not do exercises that are really doing anything for you or you end up hurting yourself. And so I want you to have the type of faith that, hey, we make mistakes and we can be family around us that helpfully show the way and show, hey, this is, this is a proper way to do some of these things. So we shared last week some of the, the basis of what functional faith is. It's, it's beginning this process of training and aligning your habits for the encounters and activities of life, right? We're going to have encounters throughout our weeks, some of them good, some of them bad. And also the activities of of what should I be involved in? What should I not be involved in? What is going to be the best thing to strengthen my faith? What's the thing that's actually going to hurt my faith? Because those things are out there. We can't just assume that because we have faith, we can just do anything with anybody, anywhere, anytime, watch anything anywhere, anytime, and think that it doesn't affect our faith, much like a diet or anything else. You can say, I'm going on a diet. What type of diet? I'm going on the eat whatever I want diet. Well, that's great, but what's your goal? also said that it is available to everyone. This is not some super mystical, magical thing. Anybody can develop faith. Even the early disciples, they, they didn't really believe until they saw Jesus resurrected. <laughs> the problem is that many people don't have functional faith because they lack a strong relationship with God and other people. And those are the two uh, important pieces of this. I've known many people that have a a great understanding of the Bible, but they struggle with people. And they keep themselves isolated. And they think that people are the problem. And their faith is always going to continue to take hits because God wants us in right relationship with other people. And I've also met people that come to church and they love some friends and they get some people around them. And, and they've got many friends, even out in the, in the world, that uh, you know, maybe don't even believe. And I think, that is awesome but they struggle in the relationship with what God's Word says and who God is, and so they never really feel confident in their faith. And there's a way to have both, but it has to be developed, okay? And we talked through these two things that we're going to keep bringing up each week. Uh, your response to God's Word determines, determines your relationship with God and others, okay? I think it got bumped down there a little bit, so... It's probably out of, yeah, the relationship got bumped. Sorry about that. But your, your response to God's words determines your relationship with God's and others. And we used the text last week from the parable of the soils. What you do when you hear God's word, whether you like it or whether you don't, is going to determine your relationship with him. What you do, your response of how you're supposed to treat other people is going to determine your relationship with other people. But God's Word covers both of those things, and the question is, what are you going to do about it? That's the big question. 
It's your response to it. Because everybody can say, oh, well, we've got an excuse for everything. Also, your spiritual growth, it depends on your commitment to God's word. Not on commitment to attendance, not on commitment to some legalistic set of check boxes. I did this, I didn't do this. It's uh, something different. It's about your commitment to doing what God's word says. Because if we'll do what it says, we'll have the type of relationships he wants us to have. But it also means that there will be choices, right? Just like in the real world. If you want to get in shape physically, you actually have to get off the couch. You actually have to go to a gym or, or maybe start walking, start doing some form of exercise, right? But let's also be honest that we also have to press past our laziness. And on almost every human being, especially us as Westerners, we have lazy points, right? And, and don't judge me too harshly. You've probably done the same thing, but it's easy to point the finger at me. I always smile. I don't say anything, but I always smile when I see people at the gym. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm glad they came out. And then I see them on the recumbent bike with a magazine in front of them. And I'm thinking, you're not even going fast enough for the meter to move. I mean, now, am I glad they're there at the gym? You betcha. But somehow, they're fooling themselves into thinking, now I can go out to dinner because I went to the gym. I deserve that donut. I deserve that latte. I deserve that. Well, believe me, you barely burned off any calories. You probably could have sat in a cold room and shivered more energy away than the 0.27 miles per hour that you were going <laughs> on the bike. So, I have to preface that by saying this. Sometimes you think, well, I'm just doing something. You're doing the bare minimum, and, and you're not actually gaining any strength. They're actually gaining any faith. It's like somebody that says, I, I go to church. And? And do you pray? Well, do you serve? Um, do you have right relationship with the people in your life? Well, Okay, so you showed up. You showed up to the gym. And I tell you, there's, there's going to have to be a pushing past our comfort zones of what we've been doing. And maybe you're doing pretty good in this, but guess what? There's more people that need to know Jesus. There's more faith you need to have. There's better prayers that we need to be able to pray. And, and because the reality is this, just don't raise your hand this morning, but here it is. How many of us, our prayer life is bound to just us and our family? You rarely pray for anything else except for what's going on in your life and your family's life. You're not praying for the nation. You're not praying for things to be broken down. You're not praying for healings of people. You're not praying. Maybe you're not even praying. Your prayer is lunch, right? Lord, thank you for this food I'm about to eat. Now, I'm glad that you're at least starting someplace. But like I said... We've got to get past some of this very beginning just showing up and thinking that it's going to be our life because it's going to take some transformation to learn how to be effective followers of Jesus Christ. But it's, it can be done for everybody at every level. You don't have to have been 
followed Jesus for years and years and years, but just start someplace and set your sight on the fact that let's go by what God's Word says instead of my emotions. We've got to stop letting our emotions, just like going to the gym, right? Oh, it's too rainy. It's too cold. It's too hot. It's so sunny out. Why would I go to the gym when it's so nice? And pretty soon you haven't gone. It's about your emotions and how you feel instead of I get up and go because I'm supposed to get up and go. That's just what we have to figure out. And lastly, we talked about our lives being formed by habits. So what we routinely think, that's a big one. Why? The Bible is very clear that he asks us to transform our minds by the renewing of our minds, our lives will be transformed. Romans chapter 12. Think about that. How we begin to think is what's important to what we will do and what we won't do. And then what we routinely watch. We spend way too much time, even if you're not a TV watcher, we spend way too much time unengaged watching. My wife is in uh, California right now. They're at Disneyland. And her favorite activity, she doesn't care about the rides. She wants to sit and watch people. Great. You'll see all kinds of people. (laughs) You're bored? Go sit down in Portland Metro and watch people. You'll see all kinds of people. But just because we're watching doesn't mean we're impacting them or developing relationship with them. And some of us, we're watching stuff we shouldn't be watching, and some of us, we need to stop watching and get up and go. What you routinely do or don't do, what you routinely say or don't say, and who you routinely interact with. Okay? The Bible's pretty clear about that, too. If you want to be wise, walk with the wise. A friend of fools suffers harm. Think about that for just a minute. All those friends are doing stupid stuff. Why? But I've known them since high school. Great. I'm not saying you don't have to not know them, but don't do what they do. First Corinthians, he gives us a real clear indicator of this. Okay? This is Paul, and he's speaking to a church in Corinth. And this is what's interesting, is he's, he's actually talking to church people. So it's very much like today of people that come into the church, they've known a form of religion, they're there for a purpose and a plan, but Paul has to lay this out so that they understand what's really going on. Because it's not about just sitting and watching, it's not about just showing up. Showing up is important, but sometimes we've got to push past that. And so in verses 24 through 27, he uses uh, uh, an analogy He used as an illustration that even we today can understand. This is what he says. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? Now, that seems like it's pretty simplistic, doesn't it? If we're all invited to a race, what do we think we're there for? Okay? In a race, everyone runs. Now, does he say everybody runs the same speed? No, he does not. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? (laughs) He knows exactly what you're capable of, and he knows exactly the course that he's got for you to run, 
and he's only asking you to run your course. He's not asking you to run my course, and he's not asking me to run your course. You just run your race. Stay in your lanes and run your race. That's pretty important. But only one person gets the prize. Isn't that interesting? Don't you realize in a race that everybody runs, but only one person gets the prize? And he's speaking of a physical race like the Olympic Games. I'm here to tell you that everybody that runs the race with Christ, everybody gets the prize. It's not just for the ultra elite. It's not just for those that are massive prayer warriors and those that are super duper spiritual people. It's for everybody that would dare to follow Jesus Christ through thick and thin. To continue to do it even when you don't understand why am I still doing this. Even when it seems like you're going backwards, you just keep doing it because he's called us to follow him. In fact, he says, yes. We understand this. All athletes are what? Disciplined in their training. Now listen, I'm not calling you to athletics this morning. I'm calling you to something so much more powerful, so much more purposeful, because anybody here, if you played any type of sports at all, especially when you're younger, you realize that at some point you can't do that. For many of us, football is over by the time you are a senior in high school, unless you are a genetic mutant, and you have incredible talent. And enjoy it. Great. Have the, have the time. But guess what? It won't be something you'll be doing for the rest of your life. But what he's trying to show them is, look at how they have to train because they take it serious. They're after a prize. Our prize is following Jesus Christ. Our prize is seeing the world changed around us. Our prize is a relationship with God that meets resistance and gets better. Our prize is having great interactions with people and giving, giving the opportunity for us to love and forgive and to guide other people. And he's even set us out as a commission. Did you know that? Go and make disciples. That's our goal, which you can't do by sitting and watching. Everybody gets disciplined. All the athletes are disciplined in the training. And they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Now, I am not saying this morning or trying to suggest that your salvation hangs in the balance of whether you get up and do a bunch of stuff for God or not because salvation comes through the grace of Jesus Christ alone. It's not on the basis of our works. He's very clear about that. You've been saved by grace, not by works. So don't think that I'm saying that you've got to do a bunch of stuff. But what I am saying is in response to that grace, we should want to do some stuff. It happens every day in our life, right? And when it comes to faith, we think we can just sit back. You decide you're going to be, uh, <laughs> going to be a little wacky and do something incredibly, incredibly powerful, you're going to get married. But you have no idea. Let, let's just show of hands this morning. How many of you have been married more than five years this morning? Five years. All right. Hands down. Ten years. Twenty years. Okay. Forty years. Yeah, we've got some people here who've been married over 60 years. You, you, you may or may not know them, but I'll bet you they've had some problems. 
But when you get married to that person and you stand and you have that very romantic day and all those stuff and you say your vows and the ice sculptures and the releasing of doves and all the things that we do, all of that goes away really fast in year two when the bills hit, the kids come, and problems start coming up, and all of a sudden, good feelings gone. And it doesn't mean you don't love them, but that's not what you planned for when you stood there looking at that person that you said that you loved. You're thinking, this is going to be so awesome. We're going to feel like this forever. And if you're lucky, you make it through the honeymoon without a big fight, Right? And then guess what? The honeymoon ends and real life starts. Work, bills, learning that you just married a person that is very different from you. And it becomes quite apparent really quick. But you never thought about that when you're, you just thought, oh man, they're so whatever, fill in the blank. But you didn't know that them putting the toilet paper on wrong was going to drive you crazy. You didn't know that she was going to expect you to fill up her car with gas because she doesn't know how to do it or won't do it. You didn't know that when she said we, it meant you. Ladies, you didn't know that he was such a slob. (laughs) You didn't know his insecurities. Nobody tells us all that. And even if they tried to tell you, you know what you'd say? Oh, it's going to be different for us. Our eternal prize... It's not about doing. I don't have to prove my love to my wife by doing something. But I do things for my wife because I love her. We haven't gotten to the point in our marriage that she says, if you don't get out in that shop and make a bunch of stuff for me, we're done. Now, there are days when it feels like that. Okay? Okay? And you know what I mean. That's why you're laughing. But can I tell you, that's, that doesn't sound like love, does it? And yet, for many people, they think that loving God is just doing things. I have to do and I have to not do. Loving God is just about starting a relationship And then when you love, you're willing to do. In fact, a great example is King David back in the day. He gets the opportunity to to give an offering to the Lord, but somebody came and brought it for him. And he says, listen, I will never give to the Lord what cost me nothing. Because then it's not me giving it. You see, I love God. It doesn't feel like it costs me anything. When I love my wife, it doesn't feel like the things that make her happy cost me anything. I want her to be happy. And that's why we have to make up our minds. When I read 
God's Word, even if I'm not really good at it, just the parts that I can understand, I would say, hey, uh, if you're brand new to this, don't start at the beginning of the book. Start in the book of John so that you'll understand who Jesus is. But the reality for all of us at one point or another is this. It's not the parts that we don't understand that give us problems. It's the parts that we understand very clearly that give us the most problem. When it says pretty plainly, forgive one another. Love one another. Stir up one another. I mean, these things, there's no mistaking it, but that's what makes it hard. The stuff that we don't understand, who's the whore of Babylon? I don't know and doesn't really matter. You don't need to know. You know what we need to know? How do I help people have a relationship with Jesus Christ? How do I maintain my relationship with Jesus Christ? How do I do what the Bible tells me to do? Not because I feel like I have to check the box, but because I love God. And I love people. And if we're not careful, both of those things, God can drive us crazy because we don't always understand, and people can drive us crazy. But look what else he says. They talk about this eternal prize. So this is what Paul's saying. He's saying it to people just like you and me. He says, so I run with purpose. And he's taking this, this racing theme, right? I run or I train with purpose. Notice this. In every step, I think purposefully about what I'm doing. I don't just have myself on cruise control. I train with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Now he makes a little twist, right? So you think about that. You, if you've ever seen boxers train, they learn that you've got to go through motions, right? You've got to punch a lot. And so instead of them punching something a lot, they posture and they punch and they move around. And they're not fighting anybody, but they're getting their bodies trained. Uh, Anybody that's at least my age and older, you probably remember a guy that was perfect at this. His name was Jack LaLanne. Anybody remember Jack LaLanne? And so his thought process was, since he was a smaller guy that didn't want to go to the gym, is we're not going to go to the gym. We're going to push against the wall for 15 minutes. We're going to hold books out. We're going to, and he had all these things where it was just passive resistance on our muscles. And again, the guy stayed in shape. But you think about that. It's, it's not about the, the weight it's about the training that you have to continue to do it. And that's one of the hard things about Christianity is you're never going to be done until you're dead. And some of you, that's a shock. You're like, when do I retire? You don't retire. When do I get to sit down and stop? You don't. Um, well, if you're a rebellious person, you do. And, and I've met those people. I've done all that. I cooked all those dinners. I did that. And God said, you, after you cooked enough dinners, it was time to... He didn't say that. I'm not just shadow boxing. Verse 37, or 27, he says... I discipline my body like an athlete. But he's talking about spiritual things. Training it to do what it should. Now think about this. That's our spiritual nature. When it wants to be lazy, we have to train it to do what it should. Right? We all know we should be kind to people. We all know we should have patience. We all know we should forgive people. But there's times when we don't want to do it, and that's when we have to discipline our bodies to do 
what it should. When I want to choke somebody, and believe me, I could be fast enough, I could get it done. But what's the consequences? What's the consequences of the temper and the words? What's the consequences of long-term stress in your life? What's the consequences of another marriage broken, of another child gone away, of another job and another this and another move and another problem and another jail sentence and another... Or what if we actually begin to discipline our lives? And it doesn't mean it's boring. If, if anything, it's far from that. <laughs> but what if we begin to discipline our lives to actually have a life that's good, that is blessed, that is purposeful, that is pleasing to God, and it is hopeful to others? That they see me go through problems. I'm not immune to problems, but they see me go through problems, and guess what? I'm still on the other side. I still have faith. I haven't given up on people. I still believe in church. And I've been through all those problems. And guess what? Sometimes we think people are the problems. People aren't the problems. People are just people. And they're not going to go away anytime soon. Church isn't the problem because church is just people. The real problem is in us to say, can I discipline myself enough to look past this, to forgive them, to be restored, to do what God says to do even when it's hard. That's discipline, right? Doing one more rep when I'm tired and nobody cares if I do the one more rep or not except for me. Discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Think about this for just a minute and it's not a threat He's just talking about consequences. If I don't discipline my body, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I want to explain this to you real easy this morning using terms of of track, right? I don't know if you've ever watched the Olympics. Track and field is one of the biggest, most popular things. And on this thing, it is so crazy in the world today. I don't even know why I watch it because, oh my gosh, they have like actual lines. And I have to, like, stay in those lines. And what happens, no matter how fast I run, what happens if I step out of my boundaries? Anybody know? doesn't matter that I was the fastest person and that I trained for four years to take place in the Olympics, and I had the fastest time. You know what they say? The flag goes up, lane two, disqualified. Oh, sorry. I'll run again. Next Olympics, if you qualify. And for those of you that are good at team play, the relay events, what happens when they drop the baton? And this one I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on. For those of you my age and older, We've got to stop with the criticism of a, a younger culture and a culture at general. Our job is not to criticize. Our job is to hand off the baton. All the criticizing doesn't get it done. All the worrying doesn't get it done. 
Our job is to firmly place the faith of church and God into the hands of the next generation that's waiting. That's our job. And you're allowed to your personal opinion, but if we drop the baton or we fail to hand it off, what happens? And I think about Paul, who wrote three-quarters of the New Testament that's worried that if he doesn't do what God says he's supposed to do and he doesn't keep himself functionally faithful, that he might be disqualified, not because God says, I hate you, but because he begins a process that takes him away from God and takes him away from people. That's why we're here. We're here to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. All the other stuff is just our hobbies and our activities, but the important part is having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. So some spiritual training this morning that, again, is right out of the Bible. So this first one, it's almost fallen out of use. Confession. Now, if you grew up Catholic, this has big, big meaning for you. <laughs> but can I tell you, it's not just a practice for Catholics. It's a practice for everybody that follows Jesus Christ. What is confession, you ask? Great, I'm going to explain it because, again, we talked last week that I'm going to believe that nobody knows this stuff and we're just starting from scratch. Confession is the admission of sin followed by repentance. I'm a word guy. If you've been around long, you know this. Notice that it's not a confession of or admittance of guilt. We can feel guilty about a lot of stuff. But we have to get to the place where we confess our sin. And then it should be followed by repentance. That's true confession. Just to say I'm sorry isn't true confession. Okay? And the wonderful part, if you've never known it in the normal church, is this. You don't have to come to me and sit in a little box and confess all your sins to me, and then I dole out punishment. You know what the wonder is? We confess our sins to God. And if we're wise, we'll have somebody around us to help us be accountable for our lives, and we can confess things to them too. But importantly, it's got to go to God, because the other person isn't keeping the eternal check and balance, but they're there to help you maintain the right relationship can be private, can be personal, or it can be public. But most of the time, everybody just sticks with, it's just me and God. And that's why it's hard for us to have right relationships, because we don't trust each other. And we're not in small enough groups, and we just don't care enough, or, or I'm too worried about what people are going to think about me, when God says that it's good practice to confess to one another. Not just to Him, but to one another. But I also say this, choose wisely. Right? Choose wisely. I would not jump up and be the first one to, to confess publicly. But there is a place for that. Okay? Secondly is worship. So confession, great spiritual discipline. Worship, an incredible spiritual discipline. Worship is so much more than just singing. It's so much more than waiting that's something that you do on Sundays as Caleb leads us. If you're only worshiping on Sundays, it's like working out one time a week. How effective do you think that will be? 
or dieting for one meal. How effective will that be? But it doesn't mean that it's easy, right? This is a discipline. And it's focused on who God is, not on what the song is, not on what the, the sound is, not on what the beat is. Not, we all have our personal preferences. But worship has to be focused on who God is. And regardless of whether it's your song and your style of music, you can worship God. I do it all the time. There are songs that we sing that don't engage me that much. And you know what I do? I close my eyes and I worship God because I don't want to waste that time. And instead of criticizing, "Ah, I can't believe they're singing this again. Or, oh, it's about time to go to the bathroom. Or sit in the lobby till worship's over. What a dishonor to God. It's a discipline. Jesus told it very well, and he repeats right from the Old Testament. You must worship the Lord your God with... Think about that. And even Jesus worshiped God. And Jesus is God. Last but not least, and this one I'm going to spend the, the rest of the time on, because... I see this one as something that has uh, fallen by the wayside, but also has the biggest potential for us to grow in, and that's fellowship. Now, depending on your background, when you hear fellowship, you think a meal, or, oh, we're doing something at church. It's a fellowship. It's a social activity. Let's, Let's go and talk to somebody. And in a world that is increasingly distant and disconnected and we're not sure we actually want to talk to people, and why would I talk to that person? I don't even know them. And I particularly don't even like them. Fellowship is way beyond that. Fellowship is about I see you as a person and I value the fact that you're a human being and we can have right relationship even if we don't have anything in common. I may not want to be your best friend. I may not want to go hunting or fishing with you. I may not have hobbies with you. We don't have to be besties. But the reality is you're still a human being, especially as a fellow believer that believes the same things and we sit in the same area together. We can have and should have fellowship. And yet I see as a pastor over the last decade that this is something that more and more people are checking out of. I don't don't have time for that. I can't think of anything worse than going and sitting around a bunch of church people. Well, they're having free food. Okay. We'll eat and then we'll go. That's not fellowship. That's just eating. Fellowship's about being united as a body of believers. Fellowship is about encouraging one another. So if you just show up to eat and you haven't talked to a single person, you haven't encouraged anybody else, you didn't have fellowship, you just had a meal. Fellowship doesn't happen by accident. Now look at this verse from Hebrews. I want to point this out because... I want to move past people that are legalistic and also people that make a lot of excuses. And I'll just say it like this. There's always an excuse not to go to the gym. 
there's also always an excuse not to forgive somebody. There's also an excuse for you not to go to work, but you get up and go. Right? Come on, be honest. Your job is so good that when you get up in the morning, you don't think, oh, man, I am so blessed. I can't wait to get, in fact, I'm going in early. And I don't even need the extra pay. I'm just going in because I love work. There's always an excuse. There's always a reason. And look at what he says here. Let us consider, that means we actually have to think about it, how to do what? Stir up one another to love. Now, if you don't hang around with other people, how are you going to stir them up? If you never have a conversation, how are you going to encourage somebody? Telepathy? And when you just show up and stand in the corner, because I showed up, you haven't participated in any fellowship. You just showed up. Look what he says. We should be stirring one another up to love and good work. We encourage each other. Man, that's awesome what you're doing. I think that's great. I think, man, I wonder how I could be part of that. But that requires a conversation. That requires actually caring. That requires actually knowing who you're talking about. That's fellowship. That means we get united, right? It doesn't mean you have everything in common. It doesn't mean you have anything in common. But you can still see that person as a human being and begin to have a conversation. And it's something we've lost track of. The American way has changed. Not just, again, it's happening in church, but it's happened because it's happened in the culture as well. When I was a kid growing up, people had big front porches that they sat on, and when neighbors walked by, we talked to each other. And now, we've got no front porches, we've got big back decks so that we can retreat from the world. We don't want to be bothered by people. Oh God, somebody's at the door. Shh, just be quiet, they'll go away. And this plays out in church. What time's church? 10. Great, we'll get there at 10.05. That way we don't have to touch, talk to anybody. We can just walk right in. What time church get over? Well, it depends on how long he talks. But the reality is no matter how long he talks, I'm going at such and such time anyway. Because I want to be able to slip out of here and not have to talk to anybody. It's not fellowship. In fact, it's in direct violation. Look what he says. Don't neglect to meet together. And, and if you could understand the actual language, it would put a lot of burden on us. This is not us meeting together because you're not actually talking to each other. He's talking about in a fellowship, a small group, a coffee, a lunch, a doing something other than staring at the back of somebody else's head. That's not fellowship. And yet people have tried to make it I won't neglect meeting together. I go and I sit in the chair for my prescribed one hour, and then I am gone so that God says, well done, enter into heaven. And yet, if we read the scripture, we find out, hmm, 
you haven't met the requirement, you are neglecting to meet together in fellowship, stirring up each other toward good work. Now, it could happen at church, but most likely it doesn't, which means we have to do the extra thing. We actually have to care to talk to somebody at another time. And this is where I've seen the biggest fall away in Christian discipleship because we just seem to not care and there's always a reason. Oh, I'm busy. I got to do lunch. I got to check Facebook. I got, hey, pastor, it's football season. I know that. Invite them over for football. I don't care if they're a Patriots fan. They need to get saved. And if you're a Seahawks fan, you've already got faith. (laughs) We should be encouraging one another. Look at that. Notice that he says it's the habit of some. They just do it, right? Habits are things that become something we do regularly without thinking, right? That's what he's saying happens here is you're not thinking anymore. You're just on autopilot. Go to church at 10, get out and go, come, sit. You're not even thinking. It's just become a habit instead of an active participation in fellowship. Regular gatherings for fellowship require discipline. This is why we push small groups. We don't want it as a program. We want it to have a place where people actually get into the lives of other people. Not to spill all your secrets, but that we're not alone in this and we encourage one another. But it is inconvenient. (laughs) And that's what Paul was saying. Training is inconvenient. Because if not, you're just shadow boxing. You're using a lot of energy and getting nothing done. No opponent is ever defeated in shadow boxing. That's what he's saying. So for this week, your homework. Maybe it's time to start practicing some confession. The good news about confession, John tells us that if we confess to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. That's awesome. He also says we can confess to one another. Worship, we know that the Bible tells us a lot about that. And then fellowship, it's how the first church was started. Meeting together daily. Thank God we don't have to do that part, right? Imagine if that was a requirement this morning for you to make it to heaven, that you met together daily with some other people of faith. Some of you right now, you got kind of a snarky side just like me, say, you still know some people in hell. Because it really, I mean, think about it. What's, what's keeping you from caring about other people? You do have the time. It's just not the discipline. If we want to be people that have functional faith, we need other people in our lives. We can't just go it alone. 